We live in a world where hustle culture is huge. We're busier and more stressed than ever before. Our commotion culture enjoys a lack of sleep as a badge of honor. Stimulants like caffeine and Red Bull provide the means to get moving in the morning while sleeping pills and night sedatives allow us to forcibly shut down for some shut eye, buying into the misguided notion that you could sleep when you're dead. If there's one thing we have lost in this past season, it's our rhythm. It has been seriously upended, but now as things are slowly returning, it seems as though we have less time than ever before. All of us are busy feeling overwhelmed and pulled in a million directions instead of living from a place of rest and purpose or constantly putting out fires and powering through one more day. But what if we stop to rethink the rhythms of our life? What if we start getting intentional about what we're doing and why we're doing it? What if the reset could actually position us to create a rhythm that brings us to a better place in our personal relationship with God than ever before? In this episode of Keep It 100, we're going deeper in the conversation of rest as a power move, the life rhythm that releases results, and have a conversation with University Ministries powerhouse leader, Eli Gotro. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. What up, what up, everybody? We are so excited to be with you, and we're going to continue the conversation about rest and the rhythms of it. But before we dive into this incredible episode, we're actually going to talk about some incredible testimonies that happened the last couple of weeks. It was so exciting because last week, boo, I was at Sam Houston State, and they have an amazing Kaifa group, probably north of Houston, and they had so many students come out. We had close to 40 give their life to the Lord. We had many baptized in the Holy Ghost. We had miracles. One particular gal was healed of celiac disease. Another guy, hers was through a word of knowledge. Another guy through a word of knowledge uh, was healed of uh, chronic chest pain, heart palpitations. It was just amazing. Every single meeting, people were getting released in the prophetic. There were deliverances. It was mighty. And then I was off to the Altar Global in Charlotte, North Carolina with good friend Jeremiah Johnson. A massive regional Friday night blowout meeting. God showed up. Man, God is so faithful. These are exciting times as we're seeing a hunger hit the body of Christ and the faithfulness of our God showing up mighty. It is so true. It's just incredible what God's doing around the nation. Well, this week's episode, we're talking about rest, and this is part two of this important conversation. You know, one thing that I begin to notice, which I think is kind of an important way to kind of open up this conversation again, is really talking about the issue of substance abuse that we're seeing run rampant in our nation. There's this key quote we came up cross that says, I'm restless because I'm avoiding my pain. And the reason we're bringing up the conversation and really talking about substance abuse connected with rest is because so many people are avoiding rest that they're actually in rock bottom spaces. Their bodies are so out of, out of rhythm, which we're going to be talking about later in this episode, the importance of rhythms, but there is a lack of ability of coping, a lack of ability to be able to reconcile situations, to be able to find the inner peace, which you and I know only comes through the Lord but it's really a result of people avoiding pain and issues in their life. And we're finding that human restlessness is really more rampant than ever. Our lives really are so tension filled at this current moment in in history, but it's really because so many of us are longing for actual rest. We don't feel like we actually have the space to breathe, to process, to actually reflect and to really come at things from a healthy point of view or perspective because we have no space to even get to that place. And so a heart specialist actually actually admonishes us saying you have to slow down and rest. And yet all of us know how difficult it is to actually find that place of rest. Even some people, they join athletic clubs, they join meditation groups, they look for Eastern practices, they're doing the chakra thing, they're they're calling in people to help guide them in their life. And then still others are trying to find peace and rest by taking tranquilizers, drugs, alcohol, and really experience tells us however that is, even through escape thrills or magic pills, come on, provides only a temporary evasion at best, but it's of course never a permanent quieting of inner tension and restlessness. All it does is fuel what we are in that constant cycle. That is so well said and so insightful, boo. It's so true. And what we're really trying to come at you today is say rest is a power move. And there's somebody listening right now that you've kind of been convinced that you just got to keep going and whatever you got to do to keep up with this and keep checking this box. And I just feel like the Lord is saying to you, 
in this season, you need to slow down, rest, and find that place of inner tranquility, connecting with God. Let me tell you what, that thing you're doing uh, to try as a substitute will never make it. And what Chris is going to be sharing with you guys is just how much the restlessness and what people are doing right now to avoid the pain. You've got some statistics for us. It's true. Here's some key statistics, and they're going to be pretty alarming to some of you. You're going to go, oh my goodness. But these are current stats. Among Americans aged 12 years and older, 31.9 million, which is 11.7% of people are currently using drugs illegally, at least in the last 30 days. Catch that. In the last 30 days, 39.1 million people over the age of 12 are using illegal drugs. Second statistic, 53 million or 19.4% of people, again, 12 years or older, have used illegal drugs or misused prescription drugs within the last year. And then the third statistic is 2 million people or 24.7% of those with drug disorders or have an opiate disorder. This includes prescription pain relievers or painkillers and even heroin. Mm. Friends, these are staggering results. And we're talking, catch the age, 12 years old or older. We're starting at the age of 12 in America. And you have to understand the significance. These are just stats that are reported. What's the bottom line? Friends, you have to understand that we are in a massive deficit of rest. And we have to understand why are we taking two episodes on the Keep It 100 podcast when there's all these important topics to talk about, which we will address in future episodes. But we did not want to go one more episode without really addressing this key critical topic. And the reason for it is we are seeing so many people crash all around us, amazing godly leaders that love God, that are going after God, that have built incredible things, but have no intimacy with Jesus anymore because they're building so much for him. They don't even know him anymore. And I want us to really get to the place where intimacy begins by slowing down and connecting with Jesus. We're talking about that place of rest. So many of us have heard the statement, you know, your weapon of warfare is your praise, right? Your worship is your weapon of warfare. I'm going to add in your rest is your warfare. There's times where the storms are raging around you and the greatest thing you can do to the enemy, that greatest slap in the enemy's face is you rest and you praise and you worship and you refuse to just keep going and striving because you know God's got you. Wow, that is profound, Boo. And those statistics, they're actually frightening, but I love the way you brought it to a head and just said, hey, it is indicative that we need a rest. I think another way of saying it is the modern drug use and explosive tempers we're seeing, I liken it to this. Here's what mechanical engineers study on the strength of metals. And anyone who studied this, you know what I'm talking about. They say that every metal, Boo, has a fatigue limit. And what a fatigue limit is, listeners, it's a point at which the metal breaks under extreme tension and stress, which is what we're metaphorically seeing in a generation today. We too have a fatigue limit. It's a point where we reach where we either break down and or lose control. And when we're caught in the grip of unrelenting stress, hour after hour, day after day, it seems like the least amount of added pressure brings us closer to a fatigue limit. And, And what can we do about it? Because right now the modern pace of life is demanding. But here is one thing I've learned. Here is a key truth to to begin to implement in your life. The proper pace, understanding proper pace is a sign of maturity. Ooh, I love that. You know, here's what's really powerful is I think even throughout history, we'll have little pockets where people, even in the secular realm, recognize the need for rest. And we saw this with Robert Woodruff, who was the CEO, the president of Coca-Cola. Come on, we all know Coca-Cola. But in the late 1920s, America's economy was heading into a depression. For those of you that know our history, that was a really key turning point in our nation. And Robert Woodruff, the Coca-Cola president, was looking for a way to set Coke apart from other soft drinks in a very key time in the nation where the nation was really changing on a society level. And life for every individual at that time as an American was getting busier and busier in a very modern world. And Woodruff wanted to encourage people to slow down and take time to enjoy a Coke. And the first slogan that Coke ever came up with, and this is their marketing campaign in 1923, it read, pause and refresh yourself. With the second line of their marketing campaign that read, our nation is the busiest in earth. From breakfast to dinner, there's no end of work. But it was perceived as too negative, which is interesting in 1929. So Woodruff changed the slogan to the pause that refreshes. 
And I think Woodruff really was onto something because he foresaw a trend within the American culture that wasn't going to be going away anytime soon. He recognized the need to give pause and allow yourself to be refreshed and that we were not as a culture doing that. And so he was trying to make it a signpost through actually pausing with something as simple as a can of Coca-Cola saying, hey, don't forget what's actually important is to take a moment and not just work your way through your life, but those key moments of enjoying your life. That's right. Enjoy it and get more caffeine in it so you can <laughs> Actually, pause don't drink and Coca-Cola. relax. No, I'm just thinking it's funny because there's a guy with Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. Keep it 100 Tribe. It is time now for the Hundo P segment. What do you feel are some things that help you find rest? Well, I want to begin by giving you guys a quote by this author, Wayne Muller, because it is so profound. And here's the quote. Quote, we have lost this essential rhythm. Our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing something, anything is better than doing nothing because of our desire to succeed, to meet the ever-growing expectations. We do not rest. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born out of effortless delight. He basically says, distorted by the hypnotic belief that good things only come through an unceasing determination and tireless effort. We can never truly rest. And for the want of rest, our lives are in danger. And so one of the things that I think that are really helpful uh, in finding rest is to really, for me, understand that true rest is found in Jesus, that you have to unplug, you have to understand the way your culture is. And in order to find rest, you have to learn how to unplug from your culture. And we talked about last episode, unplug from social media and learn how to get that quiet space in the Lord. What would you say for you, Boo, are some of the things that help you find rest? You know, that's a great question. I think we all have to understand our routines and establishing our own rhythms. You know, routines are meant to be structured with specific purposes in mind. Like what goal are you trying to achieve? I know you and I, we tend to be goal-oriented people. So we have to have a set structure and a discipline in order to achieve that. And I think we have to understand those disciplines, they need to have a concreteness to them. They have to be set kind of non-negotiables. Rhythms, on the other hand, are nuanced and unique really to each individual. Sean and I have different rhythms and yet we can absolutely converge our rhythms together. But we have to recognize that rhythms describe really the art of living a life embodied with meaning and intention the same way God creates us. And so I think we have to understand that there's a rhythm and there's, there's an essence in which we approach life that's going to be unique to us. So there's a thing that I have um, in our home and Sean and I are very much the same. We love a slow morning when we can actually pull that out. And a slow morning is when we don't have an intense schedule. I can take my time. I connect with God. I can have my quiet time. Sean and I have great conversation. We can have a slow morning. There's not all this demands on us. Is that our life every day? Of course not. But there are times where we can sneak that in. And that's a rhythm in my life that I try to just find here and there where it kind of gives me that essence of the way I'm wired and that way in which God created me to live. And yet I'm finding that and merging that in amongst my routines and my structured places. But there's the nuances of my rhythm in that kind of flow with my routines. And those two coinciding and coexisting together in my life really make me up. But I really have to ebb and flow on how my rhythms and my routines work together. And I love this quote, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy, jam-packed life, illness becomes our Sabbath. Ooh, I didn't say that, but I sure wish I did. I thought it was so good because so many times people wait for their time of rest when they're actually physically depleted or physically fighting, obviously a condition or a cold or even maybe a disease, but their, their physical breakdown becomes their cue point for rest when all of that could have been avoided had they been implementing the rhythm of rest that God always created you to have. That's so good. You know, I think about it. I think routines are what are thrusted upon you. You're, you're, you have a routine of a mom, you have a routine of a student, you have a routine of going to work, you have a routine being a barista, right? Routines are thrusted upon you, but rhythms you have to discover. And within your routine, you have to find the rhythm of rest. Okay, baby, here's another question for you that I'd love to hear your answer. How important are rhythms in our spiritual lives? I think rhythms are huge. And I think, you know, you have to realize in the world that we live in today, there is such an emphasis. It's relentless on productivity. You being successful, you winning the race, you coming in first. 
that I think we've lost the necessary rhythm of life between work and rest. We're constantly striving. We feel exhausted. We get deprived in the midst of great times and successes. We long for time with friends and family. We long for moments to ourselves. People are always talking today, me time, me time, me time. And it's just a cry that we have to have rhythms in our lives. And you have to understand many things are going to come to compete to defeat that rhythm in your life. So sometimes, you know, you just have to realize that you have to stop, look over your shoulder and see what are the things that are vying for your time. And if left unchecked, they will throw you off. The other thing is that I think our lives become dependent on rhythms. Think about it. The beating of your heart, breathing of your lungs, your food, sleep, your bodies function according to rhythms. And so sometimes we have to understand that if you'll shift your time management and life management paradigms from balance to rhythm, everybody talks about, I just want it balanced. I want it balanced. No, no, no. I think you have to find the rhythm. You find the rhythm and then balance will come to your life. You first, you're trying to find a balance. No, find the rhythm, the rhythm of rest, the rhythm of really that verse, them that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. And so we can bring our lives into harmony with the Lord by breaking from the routines of the world and finding the rhythms of the spirit. And as a result of that, then we begin to keep everything in balance. And understand, revelation is what makes it easier to set rhythm. So rhythms are predicated on finding a revelation of the Lord. Rhythm is vital to moving to the next level of spiritual growth and impact. So Boo, how do you know if you need spiritual rest? That's such a good question because you know, it's really can be difficult to understand when we actually need spiritual rest. What does it actually feel like to have a tired spirit? I mean, I, I know that, you know that, but I think there's a lot of people that's like, what does that actually feel like and look like? Here's some signs you might need some spiritual rest. Number one, you've lost your sense of hope and feeling hopeless, trapped, or defeated. Or maybe you lack motivation for life and feel like it's a waste of energy, or you feel far away from God, or maybe you're experiencing depression and hopelessness. You feel numb and apathetic, or maybe you don't feel any sense of accomplishment and you lack satisfaction. These are all great signposts that maybe you need some spiritual rest because your spirit's actually tired. You know, we see this in the story of Elijah. You know, it's one of the most powerful stories that we read in First Kings. This is the prophet Elijah, who was an incredible man of God. And we see the Lord's hand on him as he performs miracle after miracle. This moment for Elijah culminates in a massive showdown with some of King Ahab's Baal worshipers. And you think that Elijah's unbelievable victory, he'd be on top of the world, but a crash is coming. You know, so many of us were motivated uh, by a goal that we exceed our physical and emotional limits to reach it. We have such a push in us to reach that goal that we at times sacrifice ourselves in order to achieve that goal that we've set our mind to. And we have to really understand sometimes we're so committed to that goal, we're exceeding our physical and emotional limits to reach it. And as soon as we accomplish it, we find ourselves falling apart. But we want to remain healthy. And in order to do that, we have to take time for consistent rest as we climb towards our goals and achieving our goals. And if we don't take that rest, we're going to find that joy consistently diminished as we achieve goals. And it will just become this rote process that we find ourselves in with really no joy of achieving because we are just so focused on it in achieving versus enjoying it. You know, again, we see this with the whole story of Elijah. When Ahab goes home and he explains to his wife Jezebel that Elijah's defeated all their false priests, she flies into this rage and she actually calls for Elijah's head. But when the prophet, because he's overextended himself yeah. and he actually hears Jezebel's threat, of course, the threat reaches his ears because he's at, in a sense, he is so emotionally spent. He's physically spent. He's spiritually spent on all fronts. He's just absolutely exhausted. You know, where his confidence was just, you know, moments before, hours before in this incredible showdown of who God is, fire comes down from heaven. And there's this just powerful story of God's display. But Elijah in his exhaustion, because when you're exhausted, things become distorted. He's walking on the mountaintop, understanding his full authority just hours before. And in one threat from Jezebel, he is literally running to the wilderness, absolutely afraid for his life. And you got to understand that things get really distorted when you become really exhausted. And here's Elijah now in this from a mountaintop moment hours before he's now in the wilderness. He was giving up. He was hopeless. He was hiding in a cave. And we find this whole story of this powerful man of God now tucked away, cowering in fear. And we just wonder ourselves, how in the world did that happen? How 
in 24 hours did he go from this powerful display as a prophet of God, a part of one of the most magnificent stories we read in scripture, to absolutely a terrified coward full of fear. And it's such a picture of us. (laughs) It's such a picture that in one moment we're walking in the anointing, we're in our authority, we understand who God is within us. And then one threat from the enemy, one bad report coming our way. And we find ourselves going, oh my word, Lord, where are you? And we begin to question God's faithfulness, his goodness, his ability to come through. And we find ourselves in the caves of life. But we have to understand that really that place of rest is essential. And you know, God knew this and we see God meet Elijah and allow a time of rest in order to restore his perspective on who God is, but also who Elijah was in the Lord. You know, what does God do? He actually sends an angel to Elijah who feeds him and allows him a time of rest. And it's after the prophets actually regain some of his strength that the Lord then comes to reason with the prophet. We read this in 1 Kings 19. And so why would the Lord wait? (laughs) Because Elijah was in no condition to even hear God's direction and encouragement. Isn't that so cool? God knows us even in his kindness. He's like, come on, you guys. But that's not who God is. He's like, I recognize you are absolutely overextended. You are so exhausted. You're in no place to be reasonable. You're in no place to hear actually a God perspective. So I'm actually going to get you fed. I'm going to get you some rest. I'm going to help you gain some perspective. And then we're going to have a conversation and you're going to get back into your assignment and you're going to understand who you are, but I'm not going to leave you in the cave, but I'm going to allow a moment of rest to bring you out of the cave. You have to understand without rest, you will not discern properly. Without rest, you will respond from a survival mode. Without godly rest, you will burn out. Without rest, you depart from your true identity. Without rest, you cannot recenter. Without rest, you will make bad decisions. Friends, we see scripture again and again show us stories. And friends, we can even pull stories from our own lives and and really prove this truth. You know, that's so profound because Elijah to me is the power prophet. I mean, he calls down fire. That dude prays and it doesn't rain. He takes out 850 false prophets and he is the embodiment as you just eloquently shared, Bo, that rest is a power move. Keep it 100. I'm super excited that you now get a chance to hear from Eli Gotro. He is powerful. He and his wife have led Kappa Campus Ministries that if you've been listening to our podcast, that's where I got saved. And that campus ministry is spirit-filled, worldwide university movement. He led it for three decades. He last year received the Young Influencer Award and he uh, and his wife started that group at Sam Houston State University and became the largest Kappa group in the nation. So right now, why don't you take a listen and hear this amazing interview as we talk about Rest is a Power Move with campus pastor Eli Gotro. Hey, keep your 100 tribe. You guys are in for a great treat. I got one of my great friends and frontline brothers in the faith, Eli Gotro, and he is a mighty man of God. He is as missional as any guy I know. And so, hey, Eli, what's going on, man? Good to have you on the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Man, how, how are you doing, bro? Let me just check in with you first. Oh, what's going on with yeah, you? Yeah, doing so good. And man, we're still hearing reports about your time with us this last weekend was fantastic. Folks were transformed. Folks were on fire and taking the gospel out into the campus and sharing it with others. And thank you for being here. That was powerful. Oh, dude, I'm always honored. Anytime I can get around you guys, I'll do it. Well, hey, Eli, let's jump in this, man. As we're doing this thing on rest is a power move. And it's so counterculture, counterintuitive to the world that we're living in. But let's start with your origin story, man. How did God get a hold of your life to do what you're doing now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I actually grew up in Houston, Texas, but totally unchurched. Third generation unchurched is unusual uh, in the Bible Belt. But I, I got a scholarship to go off to university and athletic scholarship and went to University of the Pacific. You mentioned it already out in uh, Northern California. And there I met some people, man, that just had heaven in their eyes. They were part of this community, this Christian community called Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. And man, these people, they were the first person in my life to talk to me about Jesus. I, um, you know, I looked back and I'd known people in Texas that uh, had invited me to church, uh, but I, I just wasn't interested in that. And then I met these folks in California, part of Chi Alpha, that they talked to me about Jesus like he was in the room, man. And, um, and they were on fire for God and they loved me like they cared more about my future than I did. They kind of won me to Christ, man, preached the gospel to me and uh, helped me see Jesus in the incarnate, in the flesh. And that was um, that was my uh, come to Jesus kind of time in college, man. And this um, this intern, you you know him too. His name is Jeff Johnson. Yep. And he um, he had preached the gospel to me. I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. It, it was a long story. It took months. You know what I'm saying? It didn't happen mm-hmm. overnight. But when it did happen um, and I got saved, filled with the spirit the same night, it was a pretty radical transformation. 
And uh, that changed everything for me. I used to say it turned my life upside down, but I know now it turned my life right side up. Game changer. <laughs> I love that. Now, did I hear this yeah. correctly too? You're obviously on a scholarship. You you were in aquatic sports, right? Yeah, I was a swimmer and a uh, water polo player. So it was Division One school uh, as far as water polo went and pretty powerful program. And uh, that was the integration point in my life. I had um, kind of given myself to that for a number of years and had dreams of Olympics, et cetera. And man, when, when I met Jesus, you know, those priorities all shifted. Um, there came a point, I think you're going to ask me about this. There came a point when I had to make a decision um, that, you know, when you're when you're a scholarship athlete, they, you know, your schedule is kind of determined for you. And our involvement in Pi Alpha ministry and also in church was pretty limited because of that. And uh, again, all the priorities just shifted. My heart was to be around Christians. My heart was to be in ministry. My heart was to be in church and worshiping. But because of our obligations, we could be there like once a month, maybe. And um, we had to make a decision. I, I say we because uh, my now wife was my girlfriend then, and she has a very similar story. She also came to faith. She was also a swimmer. So that's why I say we. And uh, we had to make a choice. Are we going to continue to pursue this athletic dream, or are we going to pursue Jesus? And it was just kind of a no-brainer. We um, found the treasure hidden in the field, pearl of great price, and it, it was all Jesus at that point in our hearts. So that forced us to um, give up our scholarship. As you know, it was a very expensive private school. Right. And um, we just didn't have the financial capacity to stay there without the athletic scholarships. And that put us back in Huntsville, Texas at Sam Houston State University, where where we um, started a Chi Alpha ministry and um, led that ministry for 27 years. Bro, you guys' fruit is amazing. I, I recognize, I think within middle of last year, at some point, you guys received the Young Influencers Award. And I know you guys are super humble and you wouldn't have mentioned that, but I want to mention it in the sense that, you know, at, at the time underneath you guys' directorship, you guys had, you guys were the largest for campus Christian ministry, for those of you that are listening, in the United States, and my understanding, probably the world, you guys had 1,300 at one point in time in small groups. I mean, uh, for a campus, help me, about 15,000 at Sam Houston State? Yeah, yeah, roughly, yeah. I mean, that's, that is incredible. I, I mean, I because I directed campus ministries and was involved in COFID still very much, but I, I recognize that that's super, not, that's a miracle. And there's dozens upon dozens upon dozens of campus universities ministries planted all over the globe that you have been sent out from, because obviously not only were you reaching students, but you guys have also developed many on the outside would look at as an internship, but basically where you're training people to go out and plant campus ministries and replicate and fulfill the great commission. Uh, In the midst of all of that, let me, let me give you this second question, because obviously we're on this theme of rest is a power move. It's so counterintuitive. We think we got to do more stuff, acquire more property, get more money, get more degrees, get more stuff. And I, I don't think any of those things are bad, but I think the more and more and more sometimes can war against the fact that in God, obviously he created a Sabbath, but rest is a power move. So let me ask you, when did you begin to value the discipline of rest, getting still before the Lord, unplugging from the world, just having that time of solitude? I mean, there's so many things when I think about rest, but Selah, you know, when did you begin to value that that and see that rest is a power move for you? Man, that, you know, honestly, it, it was a conviction early on. I, I do remember reading the little book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Yes. That, um, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of that, but that was that was transformational for me. The idea that, um, if, if you're not familiar with the book, Brother Lawrence was a monk and he longed for his um, prayer times, but then he began to realize that even when he did his chores, even when he washed dishes, the monastery, that God could be with him. He could be aware of the presence of God um, through everything that he was doing, and he could actually walk and talk with God all day. So that early in my discipleship, when, when I had come to faith there, at ULP, I, I began to learn that lesson that um, water polo practice, I could I could do that with Jesus. And it wasn't just a high alpha service or, you know, a once a week gathering in a worship kind of context at a church that, that I would, that I could be with Jesus, but he could be with me all the time. That was really profound for me. But, you know, like, like most young people, you know, um, energy seems limitless and <laughs> you just start running, you know, you just start running. And it, I, I thought I would always have just unlimited energy. And, um, you know, in, in swimming, you know, as a swimmer, I mentioned that there, right. any race like track or swimming, um, you, you tend to, you know, you pay attention, your coach will pay attention to your splits and your split is like your, your lap time. And, uh, sometimes folks would start really well, you know, they, they'd get out in the lead and then, but they didn't finish strong. Mm. And, you know, you always, you always say what happened, you know, like after your race, you know, your friends or your parents or spectators would say, well, you started really good, but what happened? And in swimming, we would use two phrases when somebody didn't finish very strong or they started good 
and then, and then they ended up losing the race. Somebody passed him. We'd say either he crashed or we actually would use the word he died. Oh, man, he got out good, but he died. And so that was that nomenclature was very much in my mind and my heart. And, um, and, and I realized spiritually at a point um, as I aged a little bit, and it was about 15 years into ministry and to walk in with the Lord. And really that 15 to 20 year span, uh, we see that across across the board now with church leaders that there a lot of people crash at that point and a lot of people spiritually can die at that point. Mm. It's a really, really scary thing. I, I, I'll tell you two, two quick stories um, that I think got my attention, one a positive one and one a negative one. The positive one was I, I had a had a fellow in our church that um, was an old man that just really loved my family. And he, he lent me a brand new uh, RV, a motorhome to do a cross country trip. And so I got the, I just took three weeks, man. And I loaded up the family and we did, you know, we did a trip and it was hilarious. You know, we, we had so much fun, but somehow on that three week trip, Sean, I, I was just unplugged and I heard the voice of God. I had perspective. I had all kind of fresh ideas for our work and our ministry and our life, our family. And really it was my wife, Mary, who pointed out to me that the, the unplugging from the daily rhythm allowed me to be refreshed and renewed and to hear the voice of God. And and then the negative story is that I went to a wedding reception. I performed a wedding. We do a lot of those in college ministries. Oh, yeah. And I, I walked into the room, which was a familiar room. I'd been there many times. It's a ministry center. And it was so crowded um, that I, I kind of lingered at the door. And Mary, my wife, was behind a little L-shaped kind of um, uh, secretariat kind of desk. And she kind of whispered to me because the presentation was already happening at the um, reception there. She whispered to me to come back inside of this little like L-shaped kind of um, corner of the room. And I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I shook my head no. <laughs> and then she looked at me like, what? Come on over here. What are you, what are you doing? Stand with me. And, and I shook my head no, because it, it felt like a trap to me um, to be in that corner of the room. And there was no way out, just a single file line. I knew what would happen. So, uh, there were so many folks that would want to talk to me and interact with me that I knew if I went in that corner that I, I'd be there for a number of hours. Mm. And, and in my in my heart, what I wanted to do was show up late and leave early. Mm. And and so we had to talk about that. My, my wife, Mary, is a woman of God, as you know. Oh, yeah. Later, she said, she said, Eli, what's wrong with you? Like, these are people you love and that you want to minister to, but your your heart's not here. What like? And I realized at that point, Sean, that um, I wasn't going to make it. Like, I had only, it had been 15 years, somewhere between that 15 and 20 year mark of ministry. And I knew I wasn't halfway there. And But I knew I didn't have the stamina, the energy to finish that race without crashing and dying. Mm. And that was a point, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about splits, there's something called a negative split in a race. And that's where you end faster than you started. Ooh. And for a marathon runner or, or even a sprinter or anybody in a race to do a negative split, now that's kind of like the gold standard. And in my heart, that's what I wanted. This spiritual race, you know, I, I thought I want to finish stronger and faster and better than I started. So somehow I got to figure out a different rhythm because what I've done here is not sustainable. And I had to go back to that. How do I get alone with God? And how do I, how do I get quiet before him? And how do I make sure that I have the spiritual stamina to finish this race stronger than I started? Wow. Um, Eli, that is so profound. You know, and I love the analogies, you know, swimming and splits. And, and then, like you said, that moment, you know, we, we are speaking to a generation of creatives and yet the word that is probably as significant as any of the words is we think of the word to recreate in order to be creative. You have to mm. take times of recreation. You know, we think of it as when you're a kid or you're taking pee in high school or you got recess, but you have to do and have periods in your life where you're recreating and you get in that space where you get creative again. But that whole yes. thing of finishing strong, you know, when I was, and I, I'm funny because I was meditating on this just uh, in, in our trip at some point in time when we were just with you that I heard a statistic when I was in my twenties is when I began in ministry as, as you, uh, I heard that 90% of people that began in ministry in their twenties are not in ministry in their sixties. And I don't know why some, some people, maybe you hear that and it's like, oh my God, that's, that's horrible for those people. But it was like a immediate wake up thing of, okay, what am I going to do differently? What do I need to yield to God? What disciplines, rhythms in life As people say, Sean, you're disciplined, you're disciplined. I don't know that I'm disciplined classically. I just create rhythms where my disciplines naturally flow. And it's you because are. I've learned how to get still, the value of rest. And it doesn't come natural for me. I think I'm a, probably a, an achiever or, or those other things. But at the same time, I so need God to give me, because I know I could do all this stuff and it could still not happen if I don't have the Lord. So for you, Eli, what, what would you say has been the greatest challenge in you 
finding life rhythms amidst your demands. You're overseeing an entire region of campus ministries. You're a leader to leaders. What has been your greatest challenge in finding your life rhythms or, and maintaining them in the midst of the demands that you have? That's a great question. I, I, I give thought to that. I, I think probably what I would say, Sean, is the, the number one challenge is, is guilt. Mm. I, you know, the lesson that I had to learn is that we rest for the battle, not from the battle. Ooh, my goodness. We, we rest for the battle, not from the battle. Go, going back to my swimming career and water polo career, we we actually did this thing we would taper. It was called a taper um, for our bigger, the biggest meets. We would always taper before them. So in other words, you'd, you'd practice really hard all season. And then when you got to the biggest meets, you would start scaling back your mileage. And basically you were conserving energy for the biggest meet. And that was, that was you were tapering off um, your, your exercise regimen in order to store up that energy for when it really counted the most. And so the, the, the lesson, the spiritual lesson I take from that is that the, the greater the responsibility that we have, the greater our need for intimacy. And so we're, we're not just we're not just taking a break from the work of God, but we're, we're actually, we're rec- like you said, recreating so that we can get into the battle and into the work. So we rest, we don't rest from the work, we rest for the work. And to me, the, the, this this idea of guilt, I think I mentioned to you recently that um, the, the early fathers, they had this phrase, the Latin phrase called otium sanctum, and, and that translated is holy leisure. And, and some folks would think that kind of contrasts with the, the idea of the Protestant work ethic. But so many of us, we, we have this kind of underpinning of we got to work hard, we got to work hard, we got to work hard. And um, the more hours we put in, you know, the more um, you know, the more you're going to succeed in whatever area that you're in. And we bring that into the kingdom. We, we think, you know, the more I'm out doing evangelism, the more I'm out doing the, the you know, quote, work, uh, the greater the fruit is going to be. But we, we need to realize a couple of things. Number one, this is not our work. We can't actually do that work. Bringing mm. somebody from darkness to light is not something that you or I can do. Only the spirit of the living God can do that. Amen. And so what we actually need is to be not frantically running from thing to thing, but to be so full of God when we get where we're going, full of the Holy Ghost, that he can do his work through us. And the, this um, this idea of holy leisure is not necessarily just, you know, you're, you know you'd play holy golf games or something like that, you know, <laughs> like it, but it's this idea, the, the early fathers, they, they understood that a frantic pace gener- generally is an emptying way to live, that to slow down and be mindful of God, back to that Brother Lawrence thing, the practice of the presence of God, that everything we do is done with God in mind and therefore becomes worship, that when, when we live that way, we actually have something to give. And this like, a, you know, this idea of the Protestant work ethic, most people have kind of misinterpreted that. That was part of the Reformation, I'm sure. But, um, you probably could say this better than me, but the, the idea there, Luther and those guys were saying that uh, it basically it was tied to the priesthood of all believers, that all work was God's work, mm. that everything that we do can be done for God. You know, you're flipping burgers or you're playing water polo or you're studying or you're, you know, designing, you know, Google phones. It's that you do that for the glory of God. But somehow that got twisted over time, over the generations to mean that the more hours you put in, you know, the more godly you are, but that's not the mm. original intent. Mm. So I think we're all running at a pace that uh, is not lending itself to us being full of the Holy Spirit. And so this first thing I had to get over was guilt. And, you know, Jesus said something interesting. You remember when uh, when they were fussing at Mary for the waste of perfume? Yeah. And, you know, and they said, this money could have been sold and given to the poor. And, and Jesus' response was interesting when he said, the poor you will always have with you. Uh, but she's done something beautiful for me. And the, you know, my interpretation of that is, you know, we're, we're to love and serve people as ministers and as Christians. Right. Uh, but not ever at the cost of worship. Ooh, my goodness. And, and the prioritization of intimacy with Jesus and the worship of Jesus and being in his presence will lead to so much more effectiveness in, in advancing the kingdom and, you know, prophetic evangelism and all the other things that we're tasked with. But if we go out there empty, void of the, the spirit, then we're, we're getting ourselves. We're not doing the real work. So that was, that was the first one to get over guilt. I'll, let me just say one more thing about that. Jim Bradford, Dr. Jim Bradford is pastor in Springfield, Missouri, and he's helped me a lot here because he, he delineates between self-denial and self-neglect. And he would say that self-denial is a discipline issue, but self-neglect is a lack of discipline. Wow. And, and, and 
that's a stewardship issue. So sometimes we get that mixed up. Like, you know, um, when you remember I said guilt, I'm, I'm saying that I felt like I had to work and work and work into the point of exhaustion. And he would say that if you're neglecting your intimacy with Jesus and that recreation thing that God put in us, um, that rhythm thing that we've talked about, it, it'd be like not changing the oil in a Corvette. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's a stewardship issue. And if you blow up that engine, that's not the designer's fault. That's your fault. Mm. And, and God put a he built he put something in us that requires some rhythms. And I don't I don't get legalistic about that, but I just recognize that there's a designer and and he's made us to have those rhythms and we've got to treat that seriously. And and to not do that, that's a stewardship issue. Your your body, you know, your 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 soul, your spirit is worth way more than a Corvette. Absolutely. You have to take care of it. Yeah. Man, I mean that thing of rest for the battle, not just rest from the battle. I mean, I think that's really that rest is a power move. I mean, obviously. Jesus, many times he actually would pull from a crowd when we would say, God, you got the crowd. You got the, you know, the social media followers. You just did a miracle. You're trending on Twitter. You got all of these things. And he'd gather the boys and say, hey, let's, let's go away uh, to a lonely region. Let's go up on the side of the mountain. Let's, let's pray. And it, and it seemed like, particularly for Jesus, who in the flesh, son of God, son of man, but there's three and a half years, you would think, man, you, you probably wouldn't even, we would probably even not try to sleep. We'd be trying to drink caffeine. Red Bull, everything to get every <laughs> single minute of three and a half years knowing this thing's got to last. My deposit's got to last from now until the age to come. And yet he understood as God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the importance of withdrawing and going to a, yes. a place. And obviously the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And I think we, in, in maybe a non-Jewish, non-Hebrew mindset, we think of, okay, that just means going to church. Uh, but it's a whole lot more when you talk about, remember the Sabbath, I Obviously, I believe Sabbath is more of a lifestyle than just a day a week. But yes, yes. absolutely. It's that whole aspect of giving your time, your energies, your concentration, your devotion, your undistracted gaze, maybe that's the best word, upon Jesus. But in a way that, you know, we understand in the Bible, rest being a power move, the Bible says, them that wait upon the Lord, which we would mm. see it as rest, he will renew their strength, he will mount up with eagles, run and not glory, walk and not faint. And that's that ability to do those splits you're talking about where you're finishing stronger. Negative uh, split, right? Negative split. Well, I think it was Martin Luther. He was the one that said he, he, if he found that he had more work he had to accomplish, he actually would spend more time in prayer because he saw that translated to him getting more done than just him jumping at it and maybe short-circuiting that rest time. And That's so profound. Yeah. You know, Francis Schaeffer addresses that too. Um, he, he talks about when you, the, our propensity to neglect the thing we need the most. And so when the calendar gets full, when things get hectic, when things get hurried, we neglect that that intimacy with Jesus, that relational component, that gaze that you were talking about. And that actually makes us less prepared to tackle the things that are in front of us, which then stresses us out and makes us neglect even more that gaze with Jesus, which then makes us even less ready for the battle, which then makes us neglect it even more. He, he, he says it's a downward spiral. And what you got to do, and I learned this lesson too from a missionary friend of mine uh, in, the, in the live dead world um, who Dick Brogdon is his name. He he basically he said that you know he, we've got to abide in Christ and what he's done and he's taught his friends to do is to tithe his time daily. Which you got twenty four hours in a day, so he's saying you need to take two and a half hours and you need to gaze on Jesus for two and a half hours. And that doesn't neglect what we said about practicing the presence that it's an all day thing while you're work too. But you do have to you need to tithe your time. So that's and, and what he would say is that even when you think you can't afford to do that because there's no way you can get the list done, you will find almost instantaneously that the things that were on your list that you didn't get to probably didn't need to get done and that you will tackle because you're full of the spirit of God you will tackle those things on the list with a greater efficiency and effectiveness and anointing that you could have ever had without which pretty powerful oh my that is profound hey you this is so awesome and so rich Eli bonus question my friend what would you say to your younger self perhaps on this theme or something that that you feel but maybe your younger self coming through in the new millennium in 20 22. What what would you say to your younger self if you're coming up right now in the midst of this generation? 
Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. My our, our mutual friend Winky Prattney, he um he said this. He said you can get tired in this, but you ought never to get tired of it. And if you're if your ministry and if your walk with Jesus, if if you're fatigued, you should be fatigued at times. You know, Jesus was weary from journeys, etc. But if you're tired of it, then you're doing something wrong. You're doing way too much thinking about yourself and people, not enough thinking about the treasure in the field, about the pearl of great price, about the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus. And you've got to get your mind on God. You must, that's that's almost always the answer, is to get your eyes off of yourself and off of your circumstances and off the people around you. Lift up your gaze to heaven, like Sean, you've already talked about. I think, you you know, we've, you and I have talked before about um, J. Robert Clinton, Bobby Clinton's book, yep. uh, and his studies. And he, you know, he did a in-depth study of all the leaders in the Bible. And in the Bible itself, I mean, these are our heroes. In the Bible, only one in three of those leaders finish well. Wow. One in three will plateau, and one in three just won't make it at all. And so that, you've already mentioned that people that start ministry in their 20s, it's rare to see them make it at the end. So you got to treat this seriously. You think you have unlimited energy. You think, you know, you got fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you do. But we want to negative split this thing. So you got to find these rhythms that help you keep your mind on God, and you got to prioritize worship, prioritize time in the Word, prioritize prayer. And um, you, yeah, let's let's make it. Paul, you know, Paul said I, at the end of his life, he told his son in the Lord Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race and I have kept the faith. And we can do this and we must do this. Jesus deserves it. Oh, Eli, man, this is so rich. I, just in closing, I'd, I'd say one last thing, Sean, that I would just challenge everybody listening to put the most important people and things on your calendar first. Mm. And Jesus, Jesus is our most important person. Put him on your calendar first. I mean, Bible before breakfast, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. you, and, and then when you look at your next month, like prioritize that. Find a time to spend a day with Jesus and then tithe your time. Spend two hours in the morning if you can, or an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. You got to prioritize it. It's got to be on your calendar because there's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be anything left over if you don't prioritize it. It's a, it's a really important thing. And you guys are going to finish the race strong. I know you will. Oh, Eli's amazing. He is such a man of wisdom, such a man of integrity. And what I love is he lives out what he preaches, right? You've known him for decades and you've watched him just live his life. I've had the privilege of knowing him since being married to you. And him and his wife are just incredible examples of what it is to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. And so what I love, he shared such depth. Friends, I hope you grabbed a hold of it because it was so rich. It was so good. That was incredible. And the awesome story behind the story, uh, I was transitioning out as a campus pastor and a guy that I turned over a ministry that I began at UOP called Athletes for Christ. I turned it over to a guy named Jeff and he was an intern and I was the campus pastor. That was the guy that led Eli to the Lord. So let me tell you what, that's awesome. Keep 100 Tribe, as always, we have the Keep It 100 Takeaways. And this episode, we're going to talk about three ways to find your rhythm of rest. Number one, if you're going to find your rhythm of rest, guys, you got to learn how to quiet the waters. We live in a day of commotion. We live in a day of rapids. We live in a day of riptide floods. Let me tell you what. And often we're in such a frenzy that we can't even begin to figure out where to go from here. But Psalms 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. So quiet the waters means you got to learn how to be still. You got to learn how to reflect that God is sovereign. He's got it in control, that he is who he says he is so you can be who he says you are. Sometimes you need to take a few days off for that revelation to go deeper. Getting away can help you clear your hearts and minds. You know, when you can't tell the difference between your spirit and your emotions. And I just want to say, I think there's a lot of times where people think it's their spirit, but it's really just their emotion. In other words, it's your feelings. It's not the Holy Ghost. And you need to learn how to quiet the waters so you can tell when the Lord is moving upon the waters. And it's at that point that you can depend on the word of God. The word of God obviously is a way to quiet the water, read scripture, because scripture is going to cut through the noise, it's going to give you direction. And you know, sometimes when you can't take a few days off, just find a moment to catch your breath, find a quiet space, a quiet room, sit in your car for a minute, take a walk around the block through nature, but quiet the waters. And it's another way of saying, if you read the book of Psalms, Selah. So many times that there's this incredible point, and then after Selah, it was, it was important that you would take reflection on what was said, that you listen to what was said and you let it sink deeper. And so that I think is so important. Quiet the waters. I love that. That is so well said. The second takeaway this week to find your rhythm of rest is to break the cycle. That's right. We're talking about breaking cycles. One of my favorite topics, because here's the truth. We all go through seasons that are totally unpredictable. We go through change. We go through transition. We go through uncertainty. We go through mundaneness. We go through wilderness seasons. We go through mountaintops and we go back to wilderness and a whole bunch of in between. And in the midst of everyday life, in the midst of global pandemics, of 
COVID-19, of civil unrest, and so many other things that we find ourselves walking through that are completely often out of our control, and yet we're greatly affected by those. What do we find ourselves doing? We often find ourselves wanting comfort, soothing things, which can create, unfortunately, really bad cycles in our life that eliminate us from finding a place of rest because we're looking at the wrong source to lead us to a place of rest. And so, so many of us are trying to maybe over busy ourselves so we actually don't have to deal with stuff, or we have wrong vices that lead to places of bondage that actually don't give rest. They give the facade of rest, but they're actually not giving that authentic place of rest that's actually available to you. But some key things that I have found in order to tap into that rhythm of rest is identify what's actually draining you. Identify actually what you're actually um, having maybe uh, that trigger of anxiety about when you're getting to the root of it. Identify what's filling you up. Identify what's actually triggering you. And when you begin to identify those things, you're able to actually own what's yours to own and actually let go of what's not yours to own. So good. You have to also recognize what are the boundaries of your time and what are the boundaries of your intention. That's as simple as how much time you're giving to scrolling of social media, looking at other people's highlight reels and making you feel like you're living a blooper reel and really understanding Mm. that other people's lives are not your barometer for the standard of your life and recognizing in order to find your rhythm of rest, it's also guarding your peace. Did you know that? That finding your rhythm of rest is actually guarding your peace and recognizing that poor boundaries and poor time management might be things that you've learned, but I want to encourage you today, if you're listening to this, that you can actually unlearn those things and actually learn how to walk in a place of healthy boundaries, healthy time management, find that healthy rhythm that ultimately leads you to a healthy rest. Number three, the third way that you could find your rhythm of rest is to keep the Sabbath. Now you got to understand when Moses received the 10 commandments, number four on those tablets was remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And I think that we live in a day now where we think, oh man, Sean, you know, we're in the new covenant now, new Testament. That's the law. No, 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 no. Keeping the Sabbath wasn't about some sort of code or law or ethic to keep. It's an understanding that if you keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath will keep you. Because the Sabbath isn't limited to a weekend. When God made remembering the Sabbath, this fourth commandment, he asked us to make the day holy and set apart. But really what the Sabbath is, is a rhythm of praise, silent pauses, perhaps at your desk, a couple of hours to get quiet through the midweek, a whole day to play and ponder on the weekend with the Lord. You choose the rhythm of your Sabbath, everything changes. But to really be honest, I think it's important to have a day. The Bible says that Jesus, God himself actually, created the world in six days. He's God. He rested on the seventh day as if to model. Jesus kept the Sabbath. And you got to have a Sabbath. And so many people now are working so hard. They're going, man, I've got so much stuff to do. And man, uh, I had all this stuff going on in my week. I just couldn't do the Sabbath. It spilled over to Sunday or whatever day. And let me just say, uh, it's not that you had too much to do uh, during the week that you couldn't do the Sabbath. It's that you didn't have the Sabbath. And so it took you longer to do the things you'd normally do. And a great quote from that, there's a great man of God, I think it was Martin Luther, that says if he had a lot to do, he would get up earlier and spend more time with the Lord because uh, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, it would expedite the other things he he had to do. So when you keep the Sabbath, you're revived. When you make time for a Sabbath day to listen to the Lord speaking to you, the Sabbath restores you, it balances you. And remember, do not forget the Sabbath. If God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, it means set apart, set apart a Sabbath. And as you do, that rest will be a power move for you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at SeanAndKristaSmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Keep it 100 Tribe. You'll not want to miss our next episode. We are going to have an incredible episode on an explosive topic and you're going to have to tune in to find out. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.